The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with another telemedicine innovator in Trailblazer. This one has worked for four venture backed startups that have all achieved a major equity event. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Bill Balderaz, president of Futurity. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Joe. Thanks so much for being with us today. Before we begin our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Sure. As you mentioned, I've been in the technology world almost 20 years, primarily working for technology startups and really got the bug doing that and addicted to the startup world. And then about nine years ago, I started a company called Webbed Marketing. And while it's hard to believe in 2015, nine years ago, there really weren't a lot of companies that understood social media and SEO and was pre-Instagram and Snapchat and Pinterest and in the very early days of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. And we got very good at working with healthcare systems, hospitals, healthcare providers, pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies, in helping them use digital media. During those nine years, you know, we, we sold the company about five years in, and I started another company called Futurity, which is what I do today. And essentially, our mission is to help healthcare organizations navigate the retailization of healthcare. So we help them understand how they can treat their patients more like customers and provide an experience more like an Amazon or a Target or a Southwest Airlines would provide. Perfect. What motivated you to get into telemedicine? It's interesting, Joe. When I was working with these healthcare systems on the marketing and the analytics and the social media side, originally there was a lot of how do you get over that initial inertia to get a, a hospital on Facebook and Twitter. And the last few years that's been accepted and hospitals understand that's the way patients want to communicate. But then when I was meeting with hospital systems, healthcare providers, they would say, yeah, we got the whole Twitter and Facebook and Google and search thing, but what do we do about telemedicine? What do we do about mobile health? What do we do about this retailization perspective? What do we do when competitors that are privately funded or almost like a retail clinic for radiology, for urgent care, for other services are providing this great experience? How do we compete? So I started digging in and I decided I wanted to do something in the telemedicine realm. And I have three children. And as any parent will tell you, kids only get sick at nine o'clock on weeknights. And my nine-year-old little girl had a rash. And it was nine o'clock on a Tuesday night. And I wasn't about to take her to the ER and the urgent carries had closed. And I didn't want to wait until morning. And I vaguely had a sense that through my insurance, I had access to a telemedicine solution. And I truly didn't know what telemedicine was myself. So we booted up the laptop. I found the login information. We selected a doctor. It was just like shopping on Amazon based on my daughter's condition, her age, her gender. Found a great doctor. 
it was interesting during the appointment, my daughter, who's very normally quite well-spoken, got very quiet and wouldn't answer the doctor and would, would kind of look over at me glassy-eyed every now and then. And after the appointment, I said, honey, why were you so quiet or uncomfortable during that appointment? And she said, well, daddy, I felt like I was telling the toaster that I stubbed my toe. There was a little shift of mindset here, but had a great experience. That night I stayed up not thinking about my daughter's rash, but thinking about how I really wanted to do something in this space. I spent the next few weeks and months looking at other systems and solutions and do I build it? Do I buy it? Do I work with existing vendors? And along that journey, I found there are a lot of companies that want to serve the Cleveland clinics and the Mayo clinics and have wonderful, beautiful, sophisticated kind of pod-based telemedicine. But what I found was missing was there were these vast populations of elderly people in rural nursing homes or low-income individuals that were being served by public health departments or veterans who were maybe being served by the VA or not having access to health care. And, and it struck me that there was a calling and also a market need to provide a telemedicine solution for the masses, for the rest of us, and that can serve those underserved populations. Perfect. So you put together a solution that you're delivering via Futurity? Correct. So via Futurity, started the company, licensed great software that essentially is a HIPAA-compliant, secure version of GoToMeeting with e-prescribing, clinical tools, and scheduling tools. And then myself and the consultants and, and other folks within our organization, we meet with healthcare providers, again, public health, nursing homes, veterans groups, assess where they are in terms of offering a retail experience for healthcare, and then bring the technology to them. And oftentimes the leading service or what really drives people to really start thinking about retail healthcare, that great experience starts with a good telemedicine solution. Perfect. So your solution is used for primary care or for multiple specialties? Sure. Great question. And one of the reasons I really like this solution is the simplicity, the fact that it because it's not a highly specialized solution, it can be used across any vertical. Behavioral health, as you and your listeners, I'm sure, are well aware, is really where a lot of the roots of telemedicine are. Your behavioral health provider has no reason to put their hands on a patient, so it's lots of great usages there. In terms of general health, some of the projects we're working on, I mentioned Health Group, where this is a population without access to consistent health care. This is a population that is underserved. It's a population that is prone to hypertension and diabetes and problems associated with obesity and, and bad diets. And so we are working with this public health group to put telemedicine-based kiosks, essentially as, as an iPad or a laptop, secured in a structure in churches and health clinics in these low-income areas. And from here, the patients can receive basic primary care or work with the type of specialized care that, quite frankly, if you live in Columbus, Ohio, getting to the Cleveland Clinic for some of these individuals is like saying get to the moon. There's simply no way for them to have the transportation, the access. Perhaps they're hourly workers, so they can't leave their jobs. And so for them, the way to see a great cardiologist at a specialized center, the only way they can have that service is via telemedicine. And the exciting thing is we're expanding this beyond just telemedicine, and I like the word telecare. So we're looking at, for example, when a, another project that is primarily low-income seniors who have not only the need for general care 
and specialized healthcare, but need help with things like estate planning and power of attorney and connecting with social workers around how to work with food pantries and churches in their community. And in those cases, we're using the same platform for not only their medical care, but people use the word patient-centered care. And, and a lot of times we think, okay, that just means physical and mental. Well, it doesn't. It means spiritual. It means financial. It means legal. And so through these telecare platforms, we can say, here's a way where an attorney who's providing pro bono services to low-income individuals or an accountant or a minister who wants to reach out to his or her homebound congregation members via technology and, and just really thinking of it as a telecare platform. Great. One of the things we talked quite a bit about in the last few months on our show is remote patient monitoring. Have you developed a solution there? Absolutely. I would say the niche we really focus on are masses and populations that are primarily underserved. So we have hardware and software that essentially is a USB cable that can plug into a laptop and provide things like pulse rates or temperatures, as well as have the platform to integrate just about any wireless device. Uh, we've seen great applications with things like scales. There's studies that show that a sudden unexplained increase in weight gain, and I don't mean uh, the holiday season like a lot of us are having from eating too much <laughs> turkey, but if I'm a, a cardio patient, a, a sudden unexplained weight gain may indicate some retention of some fluids, which could be a precursor to a heart attack or other cardiac event. And so imagine that a patient gets on a scale every day, and as long as that weight is within a normal or expected range, nothing happens. But as soon as that and maybe other indicators of wearables that patient has hits a certain threshold, the cardiologist gets an alert on his or her mobile phone that says, hey, Bill is showing some signs that potentially are precipitating a cardiac event. You should have some kind of intervention here. There's also some great stuff in terms of research and, and the pharmaceutical world. A lot of your listeners are probably aware in terms of cardiac drugs, there hasn't been great, great strides with some of those drugs in the last few decades, in part because the clinical trials are really, really dangerous. We could have a drug that could potentially cause a heart attack or a stroke or some other event. And while it's in clinical trial, unless you have me in a hospital 24 hours a day, the risk is pretty high. And you can see me every day and every week and, and check up on me, but something could happen. But now imagine that I'm part of a clinical trial and I have a wearable EKG. And so in real time, that information can be going to a cardiologist and that information can be tracked. What this means for clinical trials and research is also pretty amazing. Got it. What other use cases that we haven't talked about are you pursuing? Sure. Lots of really exciting things out there. I'm working on a project with a veterans group, and you can't pick up the newspaper today without hearing about the plight of a lot of our returning veterans, a lot of young people, especially suffering from not only an array of physical ailments, uh, wounds, amputations, but also PTSD and related psychological issues. A lot of them, someone once used the word hills and hollers. A lot of our veterans are either from very rural or very urban areas, which automatically put them into areas where healthcare access is an issue. So we're working with a veterans group where we are essentially providing technology-based telemedicine platform to these individuals. For example, if I'm a returning veteran, I'm seeing my primary care physician maybe in a very small rural area, but I need access to specialized care. 
we can have that platform, that laptop right in the physician's office, and I can be receiving highly specialized care in that scenario. Nursing homes are important. We have a rapidly aging population. We don't have enough physicians to serve them. And especially, again, when you get into rural areas, if you have an endocrinologist or a rheumatologist that could see 10 or 15 or 100 patients at one nursing home, but they are located two hours away, that's asking that physician to give up a whole lot of time to visit there in cases where they don't have to physically touch the patients, don't have to have their hands on them, providing that care remotely as well. And then also urgent care scenarios. So there's a couple ways we're seeing urgent care scenarios used here. One is if the patient is in the home or in their office, they want to see a physician, they can quickly access the urgent care website, get the care. A lot of times with urgent care is things like colds, allergies, rashes, stuff like my daughter had that pretty quick and easy to diagnose. Or I come into an urgent care, I have a more complicated problem, that physician can send me out of the office and send me with a referral and hope I follow up. Or they can turn on their laptop, set up an appointment with a specialist, potentially see me on the spot. And one of the most interesting projects, this is one of my favorites, is in the MRDD space. We're working with a group, again, based here in Columbus, Ohio, that serves the developmentally disabled population over 100 patients that they serve, a lot of these individuals are living independently in their homes, and the majority of them receive some kind of behavioral health care. And there's just such a risk involved with transporting those individuals in a van. It's Columbus, Ohio, so for six months of the year, there's a lot of ice and snow out there. These individuals are suffering potentially from anxiety and paranoia, so there's a lot of no-shows. They decide not to go to their appointments at the last moment. And from the physician, from the psychiatrist, it tends to be very disruptive and chaotic the day that they serve those patients. Now imagine I can open up my laptop or iPad, have the appointment, the patient doesn't leave the home, the psychiatrist's office isn't disrupted, you eliminate no-shows, you eliminate the safety issues. Bill, I think I know the answer to the next question, but want to give you the opportunity to voice it better than I could. How is it that you go to market? Who is your customer? Sure. What we have found is that if you first start with a population, if you start with a population of 100 uh, MRDD residents or 100 seniors or 100 veterans or 100 inner city individuals needing uh, cardiac care, that's really the key. When we first started this conversation, we'd meet with the healthcare providers. They were interested. They understood the value of telemedicine. But it's really driven when you can approach them and say, this is where your patients are. This is where they want to meet you at. This is the way to serve this underserved population. This is the way to impact population health. And so our customers are not only the physicians and those on the clinical side, but also there's uh, some work done with the CTO or CIO or the technical side and then the financial side, because telemedicine has such powerful impacts on the financial pressures we all feel. Readmissions are a big deal. The average hospital can be dinged anywhere from twenty dollars to $30,000 per readmission. A lot of readmissions are based on medication errors. Now imagine I come home from a hospital with a procedure. I'm not feeling quite right. Instead of immediately going to the emergency room, I open up my laptop or my phone or my tablet. I talk to my physician or a nurse practitioner. They tell me, Yo, you took two of the red pills, Bill. You should have taken three and you take them again in two hours. 
they correct it, I'm okay. Or I tell them how I'm feeling and they say, that's normal. You don't have to come back in. I avoided readmission. That $10 visit has saved that hospital $20,000. You think about meaningful use. If we can start using and integrating telemedicine and secure messaging into the EHR platforms we all use. So patients are logging in more frequently. They're sending secure messages. We've impacted meaningful use, which is measured in, in the millions of dollars. Population health. You think about if you can use these tools to overall have a much healthier general population, what that means in terms of reimbursements for a healthcare system. You think about patient satisfaction. I think it's the Barrel Institute recently had a survey that showed patients who interact with technology as part of their healthcare experience, all else being equal, nothing else changes, have a 10% higher satisfaction rate. And when you rate that, again, into the patient satisfaction impacts reimbursements, the finance people care too. So yeah, clinical side, like it for the care. The technology side, like it because we got to keep this easy and simple and we, we know we have to be there. And the financial side likes it because essentially while we're improving care, we're also either lowering costs, lowering risks, or improving revenue. Perfect. What's next for Futurity? What can we expect to see as we head into 2016? Sure. You're just going to see more and more of this focus on to the retailization, the consumerization of healthcare. And technology is a wonderful tool, but I can give you a brand new Stratocaster and you're not going to be able to play guitar like Jimi Hendrix. The, the <laughs> tools are just a tool. But where we see Futurity heading is we're going to have all the tools in our pockets. We're going to have M Health. We're going to have effective and more efficient ways to pay bills and transparency and pricing and telemedicine. But more importantly, is bringing the services side to it. How do you get your physicians accustomed to using telemedicine? How do you get your nurse practitioners used to using mHealth and remote patient monitoring? How do you get your medical billing company used to understanding what are the two-digit modifiers we need when getting reimbursed with telemedicine? How do you get your patients used to not feel like they're talking to a toaster like my daughter did? And so I think, yes, the tools are there. At some point, the tools don't matter. Once you have a really good, nice tool set, a hundred other companies can have them and companies can buy them themselves. What the value I think we really, really provide is we're going to bring the skills and the training and the mindset to help organizations make the most of those tools. Sounds outstanding. You've given me so many great quotes in here. She can give him a Stratocaster, but he can't play like Jimmy Andrews. <laughs> great. Well, I hope you could use that one. I'm sitting here looking at my Les Paul, but I... I couldn't think of an easily quite as iconic or easily recognizable Les Paul player in the short time frame. So we'll go with Jimmy. I want to give you a chance. We had to re-record this interview for some technical problems on my side. And you talked about Freddie Mercury and kind of how that ties to the strategy of your company. Could you tell us that story before we wrap up? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if uh, anyone ever tours our office here, we have uh, pop culture icons, especially those from my my childhood, but behind my desk is a the bigger than life picture of Freddie Mercury from the uh, for those Queen fans or even not Queen fans. You probably know this iconic pose with the hand up. It's from the Wembley Stadium show in '86, I believe. But if you look at any survey from Rolling Stone or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or any anyone that does these top ten lists, the top frontman in rock and roll, Freddie Mercury is always at the top, and he has a great vocal range, and he was a good composer and a good musician. But he's really known for just being a front man, the rock star's rock star. And you see these concerts of him, which is hundreds of thousands of people hanging on his every word. 
And underneath all these posters, we have our own core values or things we look at here to remind us. And under Freddie Mercury, it says, steal the show. The lesson behind that is technology is great and we can bring wonderful products to market. But so much of this and how do we connect with our audience? How do we steal the show? You can be a great performer. You can be a great musician. I could probably walk down very artsy area of Columbus, Ohio, and there's lots of great garage bands with very talented singers and songwriters and musicians that will never make it big because they don't connect with that audience. But anyone who ever saw Freddie Mercury, they looked up to him like he was larger than life. He had that connection. And so our philosophy at Futurity and with our clients is how do you connect with your audience at the level of a rock star connecting with their audience? How do you as a physician or as a nurse, as a social worker, how do you connect with your patients in the way that they feel that same level of passion for what you do? Perfect. Bill, as we wrap it up here, before I let you go, where can people go to contact you and learn more about the great things you're doing at Futurity? Great. They can visit us online at futurity.com. So that's the word future, F-U-T-U-R-E-T-Y.com. You can find out about our upcoming events there, our publications, our social media outlets, and anything else you would want to know about us. Bill, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Bill Balderez, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.